You are listening to episode number 46 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, a minimalist media project by Kaylee Reed. Every Sunday, only on Sundays, I'll release a new podcast episode exploring topics like mental health, entrepreneurship, feminism, and of course, self-care. In this week's episode, I'm interviewing one of my friends, Allie. Allie Beckwith was featured on episode number four of the podcast, so if you haven't already listened to that one, go back and give her a listen because it's going to give you some context on who Allie is and how she got to where she is now. Allie is a full-time photographer and visual artist, and she also became an influencer on Instagram after building a big following on the East Coast and across Canada. She has photographed New York Fashion Week, she's worked with brands like McDonald's and Lululemon, but this year she's actually focusing more on building her own business than she is being an influencer. So in this episode, we talk about why she hates the word influencer, we address what it's like to have your work copied and imitated on Instagram, and we talk about law of attraction and attracting everything into your life, whether it is in a positive or negative way. Now let's get into the episode. last episode that I had you on was episode number four of the podcast and it was basically a year ago that we recorded which is so wild and when we first jumped on I was like ah I haven't even talked to you in the past year like I need to catch up with your life so what has happened for Allie Beckwith since this time last year I'm trying to think um it's crazy a that this was a year ago uh, it came up on my time hop, I think, like last week. And I was like, whoa, because I remember that <laughs> conversation like yesterday. So, I mean, I can I can start because yeah. I've seen a lot of your growth from Instagram. Uh, thank God for Instagram, really. <laughs> That's really? like how I stay in touch with most of my friends now. Yeah. But I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed is just your overall personal growth and professional growth, growth in your business over the past year. So prior to this past year, 2018, 2019, I really saw Ali Beckwith as a freelancer and an influencer and a photographer. And I think that's kind of how you established yourself um, starting out. And now over the past year, the shift that I've seen is Ali Beckwith has really become a business and you've hired a team, um, you're taking on less influencer work and really building yourself as your business and your brand. So maybe talk a little bit about that shift. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it was sort of like a lot around this time last year, I started to get some really big partners and it was super exciting and I loved it. And those are like still things that I love doing, but as I began to see like the growth in the opportunity of my platform, which I always knew was there and I know and I understand how powerful it is. But to me, when I'm seeing these big companies wanting to work with me, I'm like, okay, this is like super cool. And I'm so like honored. This is so amazing. But at the same time, if I am becoming this powerful, I should be selling my own services in products. So it was sort of like this aha moment that if these big brands can see such an opportunity there, I shouldn't be dodging my own opportunity within my own platform. 
So that was sort of huge. And I was like, okay, like I can afford to hire someone. I have a little bit of room here to play with strategy and really shift my focus on instead of promoting other people's businesses and services and products, I have so much to offer on my own end. So that was like a really cool realization and a little bit of a shift that has slowly become my main focus. What was that process like of hiring your first employee? So that was really fun and a cool experience to be able to be in a position that like I need help. Like I never, I've been a one man show for years and years. Like I didn't even ever think that I would have enough work for someone else. So when I got to the point where I'm like, okay, like I need help. This is becoming unmanageable for just me. I was like, okay, this is a cool position again, a cool position to be in. Um, so my cousin Katie and I held interviews. We put up a um, call for applications and we got so many girls around the city, which was crazy and so surreal. Like I never even knew anyone would want this kind of like, I don't know what kind of manager I was going to be. I like have no structure. I was like, oh God, this is going to be a disaster. But anyway, we held an inter- we held a full two full days of interviews, I think. At the end of it, I picked my favorite and who I thought would be a perfect fit for the job. Uh, we started out part-time. So it was really fun. It was really weird for me to be a boss like of someone else, managing someone else. It was really foreign to me and I was sort of I don't know. I was still learning, obviously. Uh, so it was sort of luckily she was so flexible and so easygoing that she could put up with my scatterbrain. And so what did you bring that person on for part time? Like what was their primary role that you needed to get off of your plate? Um, there was a lot of shooting. As you probably know, I am the photographer in all the ways. So for me to be both behind the camera and in front of the camera was nearly impossible and just a lot of added work. So I mainly needed someone to shoot for the big campaigns, shoot me doing work in the studio, kind of just creating content for my channels as well as for other brands. So that was like, that was the number one base I needed covered. But aside from that, we would work on little projects. She would answer emails from brands. She would sort of take on that role a little bit. Errands, like anything I just kind of needed help with, she would just take off my plate. That person started part-time. Has your team grown since then? Yes. So my previous assistant uh, was in school full-time, so it didn't quite end up working out um, more recently. But yeah, we I've hired on uh, a full-time creative assistant as well as a part-time a uh, girl who helps out with sort of the back end, the SEO, the all the words I don't understand. <laughs> she is like really trying to strategize keywords, AdSense, uh, Google Analytics, all that kind of stuff. So that has been really helpful because figuring out where my role is in the business. Like I can't do it all. I know I'm not good at everything. It's time to expand. It's time to hire out what can be done by other people. So that has been so helpful and it just feels better. It feels better because I can sit, do what I'm good at. I'm sitting in the studio, I'm painting. My creative assistant is sitting uh, at the desk across from me asking me questions about an email she just got, but I am still working on something she can't work on. So it sort of feels like I'm in two places at once and it's so much more efficient. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that must feel so nice after working essentially by yourself for so many years. Yeah, in scheduling like my schedule, some days I would wake up and just like, I want to spend the whole day in the studio, but I have so many unanswered emails. I have so much, I need to run all these errands. I have so many things to do, but now I can delegate them. So both are getting done and it just feels like a dream come true. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a bit about being picky and saying no. Um, And this is kind of a two-part question that I have. So the first part being, how did you decide who to hire? That's something that you have to be very picky about. What was kind of the key thing that you looked for when you were hiring? And the second part of the question being, how do you say no to brand deals that aren't a good fit for you? And how are you picky in those regards? Yeah. So when hiring, I was really looking for someone who was a self-starter. I mean, I this is where my faults come in a little bit, where I don't want to have to 100% manage someone at all times. I need someone who can kind of figure it out on their own, use Google a lot, look things up, be self-sufficient. That's what I was really looking for. Structured but easygoing because I have a pretty relaxed atmosphere workspace, but at the same time, I get shit done. So sort of maintaining that balance. And it's hard to know from an interview if someone is all those things. And because right now I need a jack of all trades, which isn't everyone's forte. So eventually I hope to expand and be able to afford enough people so everyone can be in their right role. So the creative assistant doesn't have to also be good at uh, books and QuickBooks, you know, but yeah. like right now I need both. So it's, it's a lot of pressure, but so far so good. And the long-term goal is for my creative assistant to have an assistant. And so for the second part of that question, how are you picky when it comes to the brands that you work with? This is cool because before everything would excite me, you know, like I didn't care what it was. If someone was interested in working with me, yeah, we'll figure out a way to swing it and it can work for everyone. But now I'm just, I don't need, like, I don't need the paycheck for these brand deals. So it's a much better place to be in to say, "Mm, I don't like this concept or no, I wouldn't normally use this product or I hate all of these terms. No, (laughs) like it's just a lot easier to say no when you don't need the money. So creating a business, I mean, I've, I've owned my business for years, but I've been strategizing it a little bit better. So I'm not going to accept, you know, like some brand deal that doesn't make sense because it's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Terms are really important to me. Um, If a brand approaches me with this is our budget. It's next to nothing. We want you to blog about it twice, put swipe up stories, three posts a month, like something ridiculous. It's just like, and this is what's awesome too, is now my assistant answers these emails and she can decide or, you know, like tell me, what do you think of this? I'm thinking no, but what do you think? Like, so she sort of manages that now, which is amazing. And it's just so much more pressure off of me. Mm -hmm. to have to be the front and center all the time. 
Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved that you mentioned uh, financial freedom and not having to worry about your finances as much when making these decisions because this is kind of a huge revelation that I've had in the past year as well as my freelance business has grown. I think financial freedom is a huge part of self-care that is not talked about enough. And making money and feeling stable and secure can help you be more creative, can help you indulge in self-care practices, can help you access more resources. Like there's so many things around making money that um, for some reason is still kind of taboo to talk about making money. And I get it because it's uncomfortable when you're not making money to talk about making money because you're not making any. (laughs) Yeah. And even like I said earlier, like I sort of feel selfish that I'm now hiring out the things I don't want to do because I can afford to. Like it's – Yeah, yeah, you're right. But I think it also can serve as a source of inspiration to say, look, I came from here where I was taking these brand deals just for the paycheck or I was, you know, taking on certain clients just because I needed to pay rent. And now I can I'm at a place where I can be picky. What did those steps look like in between for you going from influencer and focusing on influencer gigs to business Ali Beckwith focusing on creating your own revenue streams. This is so interesting because the word influencer drives me up a wall and around the corner. (laughs) I hate that word. I hate the word because I'm trying to think of a really like precise way to say it, but long story short, I feel like it's a word that is sort of slapped on to people who use social media for their business who are entrepreneurs but are being like overlooked by this word that is influencer Mm. so like I am a photographer I studied photography I studied visual arts um that's what I do like that's my business that has always been my business So for this like sort of new buzzword to come out of nowhere and then like that's a label that I have to carry is kind of annoying. Um, I do understand that because you have a following online, you influence others. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, but it's frustrating to kind of like have all these credentials, but then be labeled an influencer. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, that wasn't my goal. Like, that's not my long-term goal. That was never my long-term goal. My long-term goal has always been to create an income from art and photography, Mm. which is exactly what I'm doing. Right. So, Yeah. yeah. So, I guess when I think of the term influencer and when I use it to describe you, I'm just, I'm using it in the sense that you are somebody making money from social media because you are promoting products to your following. Like that's ba- that's basically the gist of like how I use the term influencer now is mm-hmm. you know somebody a content creator on social media that works with brands and makes money on social media in that way. Um so I yeah. think it's really interesting and important that you brought up that you are a photographer and an artist first <laughs> and that it's totally. something that has always been your vision and that is now kind of where you're focusing your energy on versus being a quote unquote influencer because that, you know, has that means so many things nowadays. 
I'm definitely curious on your view on the influencer industry in general and how it has evolved in the past year to two years um, that you've been kind of dipping out of that and focusing more on your artwork. I mean, and this is like sort of funny because it's sort of a conversation I just dodge. I don't pay attention to you know, like the industry trends or algorithm or all of these things, because that's not my focus. And I am so much like a strong believer in if you think in Kaylee, okay, you're gonna maybe hate me for this. But I was thinking about this today. And I had a feeling you're gonna ask me about this. <laughs> I feel like what you what you think about and what you put all of your energy into is totally what you attract. And we talk about this all the time. Mm-hmm. Like that's just, I, I'm a, such a huge believer in that. So if you think about the algorithm, yeah, the algorithm's gonna shit on you. Like, it's all like if you look for it, it will be there. And then when you were talking, you know, all about like growth and fake followers and all these things, and then someone, you know, hacked you or whatever, <laughs> and you got all those fake followers. And today I was thinking, I was like, she attracted that. <laughs> that was your worst thing. You attracted. Oh them. my gosh, I know. <laughs> It's so, so funny. Like, but did you ever think about it that way? Oh yeah, it's so funny because. I I like to be transparent and like talk about all these issues in my work because I have a lot of people now following me that are brands that want to work with influencers or people that want to become influencers or micro influencers. And so by me talking about it, it gets me more work. Like I've seen clients directly come to me because they're like, oh my gosh, I saw your Instagram story ranting about this. You seem so knowledgeable on this topic. Can I hire you to do this? And I'm like, okay, Uh so this is why I rant. So when that happened, um, one of my good friends messaged me and was like, you need to stop ranting about this right now because the more you rant about it, the more you're going to attract. You're just going to keep getting big yeah. followers until you stop talking about it. And I was so torn because part of me wanted to be transparent. Like I literally, I got 17,000. It didn't stop at the 7,000. After I blocked all of those, I got another 10,000. So in total, I got 17,000 fake followers in like a two-week period. And I'm back down to like 7,000 now. I've blocked and gotten rid of all of them. And I turned my account private and I did all the things to like stop the bleeding. Um, But I didn't want brands that were potentially going to hire me or brands that worked with me or influencers that know me. I didn't want people to see that jump in growth and assume, oh my God, did she buy fake followers for herself after she always talks about how bad it is? Like I didn't want people to think I was a hypocrite. So I was like, I need to be talking about this and like share my process because I want to be transparent. But it was so true. Like the more that I was talking about it, and I don't know if it's because somebody was actually sending me these fake followers or what was going on but the more I talked about it the more they came and it did somehow increase my engagement at one point because so many people were in my dms furious with me like for me and so me talking about it was like kind of a good thing because so many people were like on board being like oh my god how could this happen this is insane Um, but yeah, it's been like a week. I haven't ranted about it and my account's been on private. I think I'm going to keep it on private for probably like a couple months because I'm so scared now, (laughs) but it's so true. And I totally believe like I'm all about the law of attraction as well. And I think it's not just like when you think 
positively or negatively about something. It's just when you are thinking about it, like whatever you think about you're attracting, whether it's in a positive or negative way. So you just say that is so funny because I thought about that so much too. I was like, Oh, am I bringing this on myself? (laughs) Yeah. Just shut it off. I know. So that's, it's like, that was just like one example that I thought of that I thought you would think was funny, but I got really good at shutting things out of my brain and really putting them in a little box and just ignoring them. And for some reason, I have been very good at this for a long time about separating certain things from my thoughts. I can totally dismiss something and not think about it again. So things like, um, like you just said, like engagement and algorithm and all those things, I know that if I think about those things and if I get obsessed with those things, it will take over my life because that is something I actually am very interested in, but I refuse to know anything about it because I don't want it to affect my daily life in what I'm posting and all that stuff. So I've solely accepted that some posts do great, some don't, and I don't care, Mm. period. Yes. Yeah. It's so important. And it's like, well, I think what's important about that is just like the not caring factor, because once you tie your entire worth to the performance of a static post on Instagram, you're done for. Like anybody who wants to be in this industry, if you are tying your worth to those numbers, you're done. Like you can't, you can't do that. Otherwise, like you lose motivation um, and then you spiral into all of that negativity. Totally. And I think that I don't really like want to get into this, but like posts sometimes will just completely bomb. But then a story about the same thing, I'm having 50 different conversations Mm. in my DMs about it. So it's like you can't even try to conclude if it if something did well or not like you just got to keep going like you just got to keep posting you just like can't care and at the end of the day it's sort of like did I sell a painting did someone book me book me for brand building that's what I need I don't need I don't care about a post on Instagram I care about sales yeah really and (laughs) another thing that that this whole fake follower fiasco taught me is like to stop putting so much worth into one platform. And I love Instagram the most, I think, because I think stories are fun. And I think most people in our audience are on that platform the most. But after having that happen, I was like, wow, my business could literally crumble if my account got deleted or I was banned or like something outrageous happened. So I think like diversifying your platforms, diversifying your revenue streams, like taking those steps to be a business person and a brand outside of being an Instagram influencer is so important. Totally. And I think about that a lot too. And I think about um, I even wish that the word blogger was still Mm. used because Mm. instead of influencer, but now quote unquote influencer don't even have a blog. So it's like, well, you literally, you're an Instagrammer, I think. Like, I don't really know what the word is. Anyway, but so to put, so my blog I've had since 2011 and now I've integrated, um, you can shop artwork, you can shop prints, you can shop my closet, all on my blog. So it's more, it's way more strategized now than having, using Depop, using, you know, all these other apps to, again, that you don't own to keep yourself afloat when at the end of the day you really need to figure out where you're where you can bring your audience that you own like you own your domain you know you own all your like you own your blog you own your website so that's sort of what I'm at I'm always trying to lead people back to my blog back to my blog if my Instagram got shut down tomorrow I know the people who I want or the people who are interested will 
still go check out my blog or be able to be like, let's check in, you know, because that's somewhere I lead people to every single day. Yep. Love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So all of that said, what is your advice as someone who has been blogging for so long, has been considered a quote unquote influencer on Instagram? What's your advice to people who want to become influencers? I mean, I can tell you what's worked for me and what's worked for me was really like putting your personality out there and talking to everybody as if they're your best friends and letting people into your personal life. And I know that so many people are hesitant to do that because they're like, oh, I'm boring or, oh, you know, you want to stay professional. It's not about me. It's about my product and blah, 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 which I think is all bullshit Mm -hmm. because everyone Mm -hmm. is so nosy. Everyone wants to see what your house looks like. Everyone wants to see your cat and dog and where you got their names and you know like what color you're painting your bathroom like people are interested as much as you think you're boring everyone else is just sitting on their couch looking for things to entertain them you know so just instead of hiding behind you know oh I only want to do this it's like just do it and then people get to know you and this is how I get like I would say almost 100% of my clients is people who feel like they know me so it's like there's no surprises there's no you know like there's nothing people know me. So they're gonna, I might not know them. I don't know them from a <laughs> hole in the wall, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> like when you book someone or when you commission someone to do something or when you shop someone's closet, like there's more of a personal connection there rather than just business. So my business, one of like my business model is to be really personable. So uh, my advice would be, be really personable and, you know, be relatable, share, the not so pretty things, share, like overshare, you know, don't be so strategic and worried about it, especially when you have Instagram stories nowadays, it's like so easy. And then at the end of the day, I think you should be selling something, whether it's you're a knitter, or if you paint, if you're an artist, like I think that at the end of the day, you should be able to lead somewhere, someone, someone other than your Instagram, if you're talking about maintaining longevity and like a long-term vision. I think you need to have a bigger vision than just getting people to follow you, I guess. And you've talked about why you don't need a pretty Instagram feed. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So this is something that like makes my soul hurt is, okay, so I'm going to explain a little bit why someone like me needs a pretty Instagram because I study visual arts. This is what I do. I'm a photographer. I love curating imagery and presenting it in a way that is exciting and cute and pretty. And it's just what fulfills me. Like I'm a visual artist. So anything visual needs to be presented to me in a way that I am happy with. So that is really important to me. But I'm going to say Justin, for example. Justin is a mechanical engineer. He's my boyfriend. He, and this is kind of sad because he has felt the pressure of having a pretty or like curated Instagram feed. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, and I almost like put the pressure on him too for a minute. And then I'm like, oh my God, no. Like, this is not your field of work. Like, you don't need, why are you feeling pressure to do that? Just, it kills me. And all these girls who are buying presets and needing a curated feed and all these things when they work in, you know, all kinds of different industries that just don't need it, you know, but they they feel pressure to have it, which kills me. Like, 
I understand if you have an interest in it, like absolutely follow your interest. But if you're only doing it because you think you should and it's stressing you out, like that's so sad. People don't need to see visual, like, you know, visually aesthetic photos all the time. They do if they're following some kind of photographer, but if they're just following you because you're their cousin and they want to see, you know, your kids and what they're eating for supper or they drew on the wall or something like that, like, that's funny. That's awesome. That's relatable. Like you're not getting paid potentially. You're not looking for clients. Like you don't need to treat it as a business. Mm -hmm. So I just want to like relieve all that pressure for people who think that they need that. It just kills me. Can we talk about presets for a second? Because you brought that Uh up so briefly, but I think it needs to be addressed. Why should people not bother with presets because there's a whole industry now around influencers and photographers selling their presets to just everyday girls to make their photos look better right yeah totally so those people are absolutely taking advantage of the people who I just told you about that feel the pressure of needing a pretty Instagram because quote-unquote everyone else has one like that they are targeting those people to spend 30 50 dollars that's easy cash for them. And they are trying to sell them this vision that they could have perfect photos, just like this trained photographer. (laughs) Like, it's just mind boggling to me. And I think Kelsey, like, obviously, Kelsey Schroeder, who is also a photographer, her and I were talking about this when after I did my big rant on Instagram, and I showed my audience all of the presets that I've used in the past three years, it's like there's hundreds and hundreds of them because I use probably three to five different, I create different presets for every single shoot I do. So for someone to come and say, oh, these five presets total are going to change your life. Like that is such a lie. (laughs) It's so incredibly frustrating to see people try to convince innocent people that that's right well because it's a myth that five presets are going to work on every single photo and make every photo exactly how you think it will look with the preset because you're not taking into account the lighting of the photo the colors in the photo and when you a photographer are editing photos that you're taking and creating these presets for you're adjusting all of those elements in Lightroom or whatever you're using for every single photo, not just slapping presets onto like thousands of photos and they all look the same. And so I think that's like the myth that needs to be busted for people who want to create this cohesive feed. It's like five presets are not going to solve all of your problems. No. And I've talked to a lot of girls who have bought them and they're so frustrated. And they said, I wish I would have saw your story before I paid $50. And I'm like, oh my God, this kills me. And I actually had sort of a debate with a good friend of mine on the weekend. She was like, you need to jump on this preset train. As a business owner, you're missing an opportunity. Like you're turning away business. And I was like, no, you will never, ever see me do that. I will never, ever be convinced that that is a good business decision, especially long term. It's like, yeah, I'm going to just do it because it's a trend right now when I absolutely feel so strongly against it. You will never see that happen from me. You will see me, you will see me teach others how to edit and you will see me teach others how to take better photos. But I am not going to say, buy these five things, they will change your photography. That is a lie. 
Okay, so something else that I wanted to address is something that I've seen more and more on Instagram over the past year is people taking inspiration from your artwork, um, which I think is in a way a form of flattery, but some people almost copying your artwork and your style. And you have a very distinct style. Um, you've, you have a big following on Instagram. So the question that I have is like, what is inspiration versus imitation and plagiarism in art? Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah, well, honestly, I wish I was a bigger person and could say like, yes, it's, you know, it's great when you've reached a point where people are copying your work. But honestly, it hurts my feelings more than I'd even like to admit. It makes me so sad. And I understand that it's a quote unquote good problem to have. Like, obviously, that's pretty cool. But at the same time, when I get screenshots of photos that literally just use my painting as a direct reference to their own black and white painting of the ocean, it just like kills me. It kills me a little bit because, yes, this is what I've studied. Yes, it's taken me so long to figure out what my style is what means enough to me to dedicate my business to it, you know, to keep me inspired all the time. Like I finally figured it out Mm. and now it's just kind of being ripped off. So Mm. it just hurts. Like it, it sucks. I wish I was like mature enough to be like, Oh, I don't care, but I do care. And I don't know. It just, I even just wish people would try and figure out like, just kind of sit down and think like, just like what I did, like what means so much to me? What do I, like, where do I go to seek inspiration? What are my uh, hobbies? Where do I go when I'm bored? Where do I go when I'm looking, you know, when I'm looking to think and sit down with myself, like I go to the ocean, like that's my place. That's where I love to be. You know, it just, it means a lot to me. So I think that's why it like frustrates me so bad because I wish people would think about what means a lot to them? Like, where do they find them, find themselves, you know, thinking and stuff like that and really using that as inspiration for their own work. Mm. Do you ever reach out to people or do you ever address the imitation or is it something that you try not to address? Uh, well, it's kind of fun now because I have people that will address it for me. So sometimes if someone sends me a link and they're like, look at this, someone else is already on it. They're like, is this Allie Beckwith's? And someone's like, no. Like people like, it's sort of cool because I don't have to really. Um, But no, like, I don't know. I try to ignore it like for the most part, but it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I want to switch gears a little bit to some fun questions because- Got me all fired up. (laughs) Yeah. We need to, we need to let things simmer now. Um, I asked on Instagram, our followers, for some questions that people might have for you. And there was a lot of influencer stuff that I think we tackled quite a bit of that, but there was also some funner questions. So this past year, you bought a house as a reno project. First of all, tell us about kind of the thought process behind why you wanted to do that. Yeah. So when... Justin and I got together. He lived in this bachelor pad condo with, I mean, he had windows, but basically they were never open. He lived in the dark. He had red walls, like the whole 
oh my god his condo was in my opinion a disaster but it had so much potential so when I finally took the chance and moved in with him I said okay everything has to go like everything so slowly we renovated the condo and just made it a place that was visually pleasing to me he uh it took him it was a lot harder for him to agree with me because it was his before it was both of ours so once we got past that we were really excited and he really liked the changes so when we were finished renovating the condo we were sort of just playing with the idea of renovating something else and how fun that would be and you know like a little change from living uptown and living in an apartment essentially so we just started kind of looking then we got a real estate agent got in touch with me over instagram and said like let me know if you ever want to just house hunt, even if it's just for fun. So we were like, okay, well, that couldn't hurt if it's just for fun. So we started looking at houses with her and she's the doll. I love Charlotte. She, Charlotte is like now a really good friend. She's our realtor. Um, so we just started looking at all kinds of houses around the city. And I thought that Justin was going to be really hard to convince on this like on moving because he loved his place so much and you know, it was his and blah, blah, blah. But once he started seeing the potential of having a house, having a yard, having a garage to do work in, you know, like having parking spots, like we struggled with parking uptown so bad. Um, so just like some really practical things like that, it started getting him really excited. So we slowly came to the decision that, okay, I think we want to move and flip a house. So we put our condo up for sale. It sold for over asking in like one day of it having viewings. It's wild. So yeah, it was like, it's sort of a long story, but we ended up needing to be out within, I think 20 days um, because the closing date of our buyers was in 20 days. She ended up selling her house way quicker than she thought, blah, 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 blah. So we were homeless for a minute and like really needed to find a place. So we found a place and it was actually empty, thank God, uh, and was like totally ready to be renovated. So we wanted it so bad. We put an offer in a little bit above asking and we got it and we moved in like 20 days later and I've started flipping it. Yeah. So, okay. So what point in time was that? How long ago was it that you guys moved in? We moved in in the end of September. Oh my gosh, really? That's it? Yeah, it was like five months, I think, maybe. Okay, and so you've been documenting the whole reno process on your Instagram, which has been so fun to watch. Um, What has been the biggest challenge and what has been the most fun? The biggest challenge has been finding countertops, (laughs) which is going to be the death of me, I swear. Oh my God, I never thought that it would be that hard, but in... Anyway, yeah, that's been the hardest part, period. Um, the funnest part has been really, really thinking about what I want and looking up all the ways to make it happen and then working at it a bit and then seeing my exact vision happen. It's ridiculously satisfying. And so when you first bought the house, you had the intention of flipping. And I think you had talked about like doing this a few times, like you wanted to just flip a few houses before you actually bought a place and settled down and made it exactly what you wanted. But it seems like you've been falling in love with this place that you're currently in. So do you want to address any rumors that you may or may not be staying in this house? 
Well, we don't really know. So what our what our long term plan was was to flip a couple houses um, to really figure out what we like and what we didn't like for when and if we build a house. So yeah, so we're we and we are we're figuring out. We already regret a few decisions that we've done in this house, and we already know a few things that we would have done differently in the condo and all that kind of stuff. So we're really we are doing exactly what we set out to do. Um, but at the same time, now especially since the kitchen it's taking so much longer than we planned. We're playing with the idea of flipping another house, but still living in this house. So instead of just selling it right away and moving to a dump to live in for a while while we renovate. So we, we have no idea. Like we don't even plan to be that plan to be finished this until probably the end of the summer, September. So we still have a lot of time to figure it out, but as of right now, where our master bathroom's almost finished and our kitchen's almost finished, we're like, oh, are we really going to love this, like, too much to leave? So it's hard to say right now. And I feel like once we start also looking on MLS and we start considering other houses and going to see other houses, our minds may change because that's what happened last time. So it's I really don't know. Like, we really don't know. But right now, we do love where we're living. And it's really cool to see all the seasons change. We've seen, like, the last end of summer. The fall was beautiful here. And now winter is stunning. So I'm excited to spend the summer here. Okay. Um, is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap? Um, more advice I would give is maintain your vision. Think, think more long-term. Think about the bigger picture. I, I know it's so easy, especially like in St. John where I'm from, is so easy to get caught up in what everyone locally is doing and these businesses that quote unquote are your competitors and like blah, 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 blah. But like my vision has always been so much bigger than this city that that's really, really, really worked for me long term is not getting caught up and not even really knowing what anyone else in this city is doing. Um but just keeping it bigger is really important. You just heard from Allie Beckwith, who is at Allie Beckwith on Instagram and AllieBeckwithBlog.com. If you loved this episode, please take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram stories. Allie and I will be reciprocating the love. We so appreciate all of your support because that's the only way that we get to do cool stuff like this and we wouldn't be here without you. If you're not already subscribed to Self Care Sunday, maybe take a moment on iTunes and hit that subscribe button because then you'll be notified whenever new episodes are launched and you don't even have to think about it. Until next time, happy Self Care Sunday, everyone. Mm-hmm.